if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16 is on page 905 in the Bibles in the pew rack in front of you. If you're here today and you don't have a Bible and a translation uh, that is uh, easy for you to understand or for you to read, I would like to invite you to feel free to take one of the Bibles from the pew racks home with you and use that as your own Bible. We're just glad to be gathered together. It is our custom here at Leonardtown Baptist Church when we open and read God's Word to stand in honor of it. So will you stand with me as I read Mark 16, verses 1 through 8. I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible, which is the Bible in the pews this morning. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene... Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. They were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? Looking up, they noticed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. They were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. They went out and ran from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you for standing in honor of the reading of it. You may be seated. Will you join me in a brief word of prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word for us today. God, we thank you that Jesus is alive. We thank you for the angelic announcement. Father, we thank you for the good news. Lord, the news that I get the privilege of sharing this morning. So Father, I pray that you would speak through me. Lord, would your word be the word that all hear today. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart Be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark's account of the resurrection picks up where the account of Jesus' burial left off in Mark 15. The women, you'll recall if you were here last week, observed Jesus die on the cross. The same women watched Jesus be buried in a borrowed tomb. And then in verse 1 of chapter 16, we find these same women displaying their sincere devotion and their love for Jesus by venturing to anoint his body for burial with spices. Now their bravery to care for the man who had just been condemned publicly to death and crucified is to be commended. It shows their great love and concern But Mark records for us, they hadn't really thought through how they were going to accomplish this task. 
If you look in verse 3 of Mark 16, they were saying, that is the women, to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? I'm calling this uh, the women's afterthought. The women's afterthought. If you're following along in the outline you received this morning, there's nobody at the tomb to move the stone. They'd not thought about this. They wanted to show their care and their love, but they hadn't thought it all through. So I started sending out feelers for the best illustration of afterthoughts that some of you could come up with. And I will tell you that there were too many to share. Uh, you know, planning that hadn't really been all the way thought through. For example, there was uh, the story of the problem of that the FAA faces with the STARS system. Apparently, the software that they have to develop for the STARS system that they use is so complex that the time it takes to develop the software outlives the processors that can support it. So by the time they're ready to roll out the software, the processors are at the end of life. That's an afterthought. This is the examples I was looking for. There was also like the ill-fated short life of the Lockheed Electra as a commercial airliner. It would have its wings fall off if it flew too fast. That's an afterthought, like they weren't planning. But the best afterthought story goes to Eric Sink. Our brother here is a naval aviator, and he said, imagine that it's O-Dark 30, and it's time for the flight brief. The laughter and the joking have all stopped as the door is shut to one of the mission briefing rooms aboard the newly commissioned USS Gerald R. Ford. The $13 billion aircraft carrier that took 12 years to build and is the largest and most advanced carrier ever created. And naval aviation's finest have gathered for this sacrosanct pre-flight brief where each step of a multi-hour mission would be planned and reviewed in meticulous detail. Now, ordinarily, when you're in the room for these things, there's no smiling, there's no joking when the flight lead steps up to the whiteboard. But he himself can't help but chuckle as he's forced to, to kneel down to the ground to begin to write on the whiteboard. And the, the necks of the wingmen are craned as they're looking around each other's heads to see what he's writing on the dry erase board. You see, he's kneeling because the contractors installed the whiteboards in the room before the raised floors and the drop ceilings came in. And with the floors and the ceilings added, there's no more room to move these whiteboards, rendering the air crew's primary briefing apparatus hung at knee height. So for the next 50 years of its expected commission service, that lack of forethought will be self-evident every morning aboard the Ford. The women's afterthought. Who's going to take care of this enormous stone that nobody can move? But I thank God that we know the rest of the story in Mark. Because the women's plan to anoint Jesus' body would have turned into a tragic comedy like the Ford. If it hadn't been that they got there and the stone that was in place had been rolled away. You see, if that were the end of the story, that they came and there was nobody to move the stone, you and I wouldn't be here today. Our world would be hopelessly lost. And history itself would be tragically pointless. As Paul put it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless 
and you are still in your sins. But praise the Lord for the angel's announcement in verse 6. There's no body in this tomb. Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, he is risen. He is not here. The angel's announcement, if you're following along in your outline, there's no body in the tomb. Jesus is alive, dear friends. One person has said the entire gospel and the turning of the ages hangs on that single declaration. In the Greek, behind this text, the word is actually one single word. It's a passive verb, which is often referred to as the divine passive because we know who the actor was. It was God the Father raising the Son from the dead. He has been raised, Scripture says in Mark 16. But it's not just the good news that he has risen. There's proof for the women who entered the tomb. He's not here. The angel says, look at where they laid his body. There's no body here now. Christianity hangs and falls on the truth of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. R. Kent Hughes says, every theory, ancient and modern, all objections about the validity of the resurrection of Jesus are shattered by one question. What became of Christ's body? What became of Christ's body? When Peter was preaching at Pentecost, he said in Acts chapter 2 and verse 29, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is here with us to this day. In other words, Peter was implying you all can go and see where David was buried and his bones will still be in the tomb. But y'all can also go and see where Jesus was buried. And listen, there ain't no body there. All right. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Peter goes on to say in this text, God has raised this Jesus and we are all witnesses of this. But if you only stopped reading at verse 8, like we just did this morning in Mark 16, you might get a little concerned that Pentecost and the spread of the gospel to all nations may have never happened. Mark 16, verse 8 says, They went out and ran from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. So we can observe thirdly in the outline that you're following along with the women's astonishment And there's apparently nobody finding this out until eventually everybody finds this out. Mark could not have been more definite in his language in verse 8. A really wooden translation of the Greek would be something like, the women said nothing to nobody. (laughs) Now, it's at this point that we could begin the discussion about why the CSB Bible puts in brackets that the earliest manuscripts do not include verses 9 and following. Now, if you're curious about that and why that's written in the text here and in the Bibles in the pew rack in front of you, I want to invite you to come next Sunday. My friend Brian Seagraves will be coming up from Florida, and I've asked him to discuss 
why some of the early manuscripts do not include those verses and what we are to make of our confidence in the English Bibles that we have, the translations that we read. Now, I'll tip my hand this morning and say that I agree with the majority of the scholarly evidence that verse 9 and following were a later edition. Now, there are reasons for uh, all of that, and I want my friend Brian to share all that. Again, I want you to come back next week and hear the rest of the story, so to speak. But assuming that that is true, um, there are questions that naturally follow. Was verse 8 Mark's intentional ending? Did Mark have an ending that got lost and it got kind of completed by a later editor? All of these kinds of speculative questions come to mind. But I want to leave you not with speculation on Easter Sunday morning. I want to leave you with two certainties. Number one, verse 8 was definitely written by Mark. All scholars agree. And number two, obviously, everyone did find out. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't end here with nobody finding out about the resurrection. We're here today. And so we should quickly note that the astonishment and the fear that these women have were very natural responses to the inbreaking of the supernatural into our world. Now, if you think back through Mark's gospel itself, where the supernatural happens and Jesus is there, for example, when he calmed the wind and the waves, the disciples, we are told, were astonished and afraid. You look at Mark four forty-one; They were filled with great fear. They said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? When Jesus healed the demon-possessed man, People were afraid at his supernatural power. When Jesus walked on the water, the disciples were terrified. When Jesus was transfigured, Peter became speechless because he was terrified. And even when Jesus predicted his death, burial, and resurrection, Scripture says in Mark 9.32, they didn't understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. Look, when I come up behind my wife, Christina, like, which I love to do, by the way, I like to sneak up on her and then startle her. I'm sorry. Some of you wives are like shaking your head and like going to shame me when we walk out. But it's part of the joy of being a husband is somehow we have like magic feet and we can come up behind you and scare you. But she won't talk to me for like hours after that. Like (laughs) she's scared. She's upset. You know, like, so let's give these women some slack here because listen, the women had left When it was dark outside, they had approached a tomb. Okay, let's remember what we're talking about. They had approached a tomb where they were expecting to find a dead body. They were shocked the stone was not there and had been rolled away. They mustered up the courage to walk into the tomb only to be startled by some angel dude dressed in white that proceeds to tell them that Jesus isn't there anymore. So I think we can all just agree that we too would have been terrified, astonished, afraid. So the question is, how did they go from fearful and speechless women running from the tomb to Peter at Pentecost before the crowds boldly declaring the resurrection to everyone? And the answer to that is simple. Jesus appeared to them. Jesus appeared to them. In fact, he appeared to all of them. We know this from the other gospel accounts. The most familiar, uh, uh, the most similar, excuse me, of which is Matthew's gospel account. 
And what we find in Matthew is that he records that the women went away with both astonishment intermingled with joy. So pick up in Matthew 28 and verse 8 and see departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell the disciples the news. And just then, Jesus met them. And he said, greetings. They came up, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus told them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. So what made these fearful women into confident witnesses? Jesus did. Jesus did. The risen Son of God told them, don't be afraid. He appeared to them, and they went on to spread the good news, which leads me to this morning's application. There's nobody but God who can roll the stone away, raise the dead to life, and reach the world through our witness. Ever since we began our study in the Gospel of Mark, we have been privy to one fact at the very beginning. Mark's Gospel begins like this. This is the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That word beginning in Greek is a word that looks like Genesis. This is the Genesis of the good news, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But what we, the reader and the student of Mark's gospel, have known to be true from the outset has been gradually revealed to the disciples of Jesus along the way. They've been astonished, fearful, perplexed, at times even misguided. They did not understand that the Messiah would also be the one who suffered and died on the cross. But the resurrection of Jesus changed all of that. You see, God vindicated the identity of Jesus by raising him from the dead. That's what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 4, that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we know that the risen Jesus could have uh, appeared to this, or actually did appear to the disciples when they were in locked rooms. Like John's gospel tells us that Jesus just appeared and the disciples were gathered in rooms. So he did not need the stone rolled out of his way. Like the risen Jesus could have come out. No, we needed that. Aren't you glad the angel rolled the stone away? Like the women who needed proof, we need that proof. And God in his mercy gave us the proof. He opened up the grave and through the angelic announcement said to the women and to the world, Jesus is alive and there's no body in the tomb. Which is the second point of this morning's application. Jesus' resurrection means that God can raise the dead to life. He can roll the stone away, oh yes, but he can raise the dead to life. Which has implications for every follower of Jesus Christ who is here today. Jesus' empty tomb is the first fruits of your empty tomb, dear sister. Oh, brother in Christ, you may be knocking on death's door, but I'd just like to encourage you, don't spend too much money on a casket because just like Jesus is occupying a borrowed tomb, your casket will be a rental as well. 
God can roll the stone away. God can raise the dead to life. Did you know that all of us by nature are children of wrath and dead in our trespasses and sins? You see, the miracle of miracles will not take place when God raises your body from the grave, if you're a believer in Christ, as amazing as that will be. Brother and sister, the real miracle is that he raised your soul from spiritual death unto spiritual life. Ephesians chapter 2, and you were dead, dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he's raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. No dead person gets to say, look what I did to raise myself again. But God made us alive. None of us can boast. It humbles us. And it is this spiritual resurrection that I've just read about from Ephesians that gives the Christian hope of the physical resurrection. That's the way Paul puts it in Romans chapter 8. You see, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The the spirit-filled Christian has the hope of the bodily resurrection. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit then leads me to the last point of this morning's application. He can roll the stone away. He can raise the dead to life and he can reach the world through our witness. We can rightfully say that the women took courage when they saw the risen Lord. And we can agree that the Galilean appearance promised in verse 7 of Mark 16 was no doubt restorative and crucial to Peter, especially, and to the other disciples' faith. But what was the real difference maker that turned early Christians into bold and powerful proclaimers of a gospel that would spread around the world. Like we're in Leonardtown, Maryland, talking about something that happened almost 2,000 years ago. And here's a hint. It happened 50 days after the Passover. Pentecost. Jesus had promised the disciples before he ascended, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, even Southern Maryland. And the same God who rolled the stone away and raises dead people to life and gives them spiritual life and raises dead bodies to life at his second coming intends to reach the world through our witness. And we have a record for us today in Mark's gospel of the greatest news in history that the promised Messiah gave his life, as Mark 10 says, as a ransom for sinners, that Jesus was raised to prove that he is God's son. But we also have the work of the Holy Spirit in each one of us who will help us overcome fear of persecution and cowardice to allow us to be bold witnesses about the risen Lord. The readers of Mark's gospel knew the rest of the story. Christianity had spread even as far as Rome through the bold witness of many. But the reality is that Christians were being persecuted for their faith. And in the face of that persecution, they were being challenged by Mark. Remember the fear and the failures of Jesus' very first followers. It was through a real-to-life record of Peter's eyewitness account, coupled with the later knowledge of Peter's boldness, that would have encouraged the original reader. It would have inspired them to trust in the grace of God for them, to rely on the same Spirit who empowered Peter to preach at Pentecost, to allow them to preach the good news as well. Brothers and sisters, in Mark's account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we possess the truest of all truths with a capital T. And the question is, will we shrink back for fear of persecution? Or have we encountered the risen Lord through his word? Have we been indwelt with the same Holy Spirit as the Peter who preached at Pentecost in Acts 2? Because if so, then the God who rolled the stone away and the God who raised our Lord and us from death to life will reach the world and our neighbors and family and friends through our witness of him.